1: I am so here. I am back from Oregon. Thanks to everybody that followed along on Instagram. I am a big sea lion fan now. I was previously kind of like generally happy to see sea lions. Now that I've seen them in their big cave raising their babies at this place called Sea Lion Caves on the Oregon coast, I am a profound sea lion fan Bring me bring me stories of sea lions. Find me on the Twitter bot. I am at Deardara. Also <laughs> it's so funny to spend your whole I've never been to the Oregon Coast before. It is so funny to spend your life as a food writer and Dungeness Crabs are yeah, you know, they're twenty bucks a pop, they're thirty dollars a pound, they're all of these things, and then you're walking down the beach in the morning and they're just littered around and seagulls are eating them, they're free. The craziest thing. I could not get over it. I just, like, seeing two seagulls fight over a fresh Dungeness crab, I had no idea. They just look like two people at a table battling for the last little bits of it. Oh, so much fun. But I am back in the swing of things. We have a very special show for you today. We got nothing but young chefs up and coming in restaurants. We're going to talk about what that's like. We're going to talk about how to, how to make your way in this crazy new mixed-up world. We're going to talk about all the things. So if you got any questions for some young chefs at some uh, restaurants that are very, very good, tweet me. I am at Deardara or you can always text us 81807. My first guest is the esteemed Dustin Thompson, chef de cuisine of St. Genevieve, which, you know, if you listen to me talking with Chad, one of my favorite places. It's down by Lake Harriet, kind of 50th and Bryant, and it's got this French vibe that I just love. You walk in, you kind of feel like you're in Paris. Uh, The place has got a reputation as one of the toughest tables in the Twin Cities. Uh, But they are not like that right now. You can really get in there, and and that's why Dustin is here to kind of spread the word that, yes, you can walk into St. Genevieve. You can get a table. It's happening. And I am very curious about how you walk into an established restaurant like uh, St. G with a kind of famous chef like Stephen Brown and make your own name. So I am very happy that Dustin Thompson is here. Uh, Chef, welcome to the show.
2: Hello. Thank you.
1: All right, so all the questions. First of all, you're from here, right? You're a...
2: yeah, yeah. I was born in Apple Valley.
1: Apple Valley. Um, did you have a lot of apples? No, no apples in Apple Valley. <laughs> too bad. Too bad. Uh, and then you, so tell how did you, you know, rise up this this path of cooking? Where what was your first restaurant job?
2: Uh, the Minnesota Valley Country Club in Bloomington.
1: Oh, very nice. It was exciting. Yeah. Do you know how to make those? Do you, patterns on mushrooms can you tournay a mushroom
2: yeah i weirdly like remembered the whole menu there and it was huge it's a country club so there was like
1: a hundred things i love country clubs i love uh just the, the so much staff always behind the scenes mm-hmm. making everything happen um you get a lot of camaraderie because it's like you just deal with these waves of giant events that are always coming upon you like yep. a, Oh, like a little dungeon of crabs, cuddling Okay, so you, uh, so you started. You went. You grew up in Apple Valley, and did you go to cooking school? Is that the path I did took? for
2: a short amount of time, about six months, and then I met a girl, and that was it for that.
1: Oh, really? Yes. And she was like, "I hate food."
2: No, I just got distracted.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. And so then, how did you tell me about the path? how did you end up at St. G?
2: Um, I started working for Stephen at Tilia um, way back when Tilia was still a little baby restaurant. And
1: but always very popular. I think for the second it opened the doors, you couldn't get in there. The Tilia Kitchen, if anyone's ever been, that's a place in Linden Hills that I love. They're having a big block party tomorrow. I will uh, drop by that for sure because they're just a couple of doors down from the best children's bookstore in the nation, which of course is Wild Rumpus. Uh, if no one's, if someone possibly is, has little kids and has never been to Wild Rumpus, you got to drop everything and go. It's an astonishing place. It has, this, go in through this little door, and then there's uh, books everywhere, and they have animals. They have like a chicken that walks around, and different um, animals in cages, and like a little place under the floor where you can see bats that are in a cage. It's the it's the greatest place. I love it so much. Uh, one of my favorite things of the Twin Cities, and Tilly is a few doors down, and they have these great little. Um, busy boxes for kids and so one of our rituals when my kids were tiny was to always go to chicken bookstore as we call it not wild rumpus we just call it chicken bookstore because there's a chicken and then go uh, and get brunch or lunch at Tilia and get the busy box so much fun but uh, from a cooking side the Tilia kitchen is the size of a matchbox so that's uh, how is that you have to learn a lot you have to be very chill
2: yeah you had to be very conscious of where everyone else was around you there is not a whole lot of room to move back and forth
1: i've only seen when i was in oregon went on the a tour in portland of a 1959 navy submarine that's the only kitchen i've seen smaller <laughs> 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 and maybe this maybe the cafe barbed oh, kitchen which is also legendarily the size of a closet okay so you started at tilia how did you end up there you must have known something about it
2: Yeah, there was a friend of Stephen's working for him at the time that I had worked with previously at the French Meadow, and he gave me a call and told me to call Stephen Brown. I was very young, and that was very intimidating.
1: Oh, really? But you did it anyway? Yep. How would you find
2: the courage? Uh, Kind of the same way I came here. Just ended up...
1: Oh, you mean to this actual radio show? Yes. Yeah, Stephen Brown threw Mr. Dustin Thompson into the fire. I was like, you're you're going to have media training on the air, so that's happening right now. All right. So you started there, and then when how did you rise up to take over St. Genevieve?
2: Um, kind of a long road of moving away. We, my wife and I, moved to Bayfield for about a year after we got married, and then ended up back in Minneapolis. Opened a few. Small restaurants, like the Harriet Brasserie was my first chef job right next to Tilia. And then uh, previous to St. Genevieve, I was at the brewer's table with Jorge Guzman.
1: Oh, that's right. So is that pretty typical for a young chef these days? You're kind of hopping around yes. every year, six months. All right. So what is the – if someone is listening to this or like, I want to know how chefs do that kind of thing – what is, the, what is the standard advice you tell people to do things like go work for a butcher, go work for a fishmonger, do you know, learn those stations, or do you tell them, what do you tell them?
2: Um, it's really just about committing and working really hard. I think you can be working in any kitchen and learn a lot. You uh, teach yourself more than you realize by just kind of focusing on the work and deciding if that's really something that you want to do because it's a big commitment.
1: Yeah, kitchen days are long days. Mm-hmm. All right, so then you took over St. Genevieve, and is its it is – it, I'm very curious about that as a chef, to kind of walk into a French kitchen in the year 2018, an American French kitchen. A you know, French kitchen 30 years ago meant one thing. You're going to be cooking saumonier and Lorange and those kind of classic dishes, but that's not what anybody wants today, but they do want something French. How do you kind of walk that line?
2: Uh, we try to take inspiration from the more like trendy newer restaurants in paris um so it's kind of French in quotations. It's kind of how I like to describe it because if you go to Paris right now, not everyone is cooking a orange or saumoniere
1: no, nor were they thirty years ago exactly so. I think it's
2: our- it's our perception here in the midwest still that that's French food, but um really we're just trying to. Cook as if we were in Paris so focusing on seasons and trying to stay ahead of trends but also just tasty food
1: that's a that's a, do you feel constrained or do you feel happy that you don't have to think about all the ingredients in say Ethiopia Thailand uh, Micronesia like or do you do you want to be playing in those playgrounds or are you happy to have kind of rules around you
2: for me it's easier if there's rules and guidelines somewhere to start. Starting with a blank page is impossible for me.
1: Yeah, I think I don't. I don't know how kitchens that have those, you know, ten thousand ingredients even find them. I don't know how you keep things fresh. I don't know how you keep it on the shelves. I don't know how you logistically like look for. I'm just bad at looking for something in ten thousand things. But mm-hmm. I think it would be just too much.
2: If my order guide gets past three pages, it means we have to we have to pare it in a little bit.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, so um, so you're running St. Genevieve. I you came to my attention. I dropped in for a hot happy hour a few weeks ago. We were running quite an amazing cheeseburger, which is French. If you go to actual France, they're eating them. But uh, the six buck uh, cheeseburger you do during happy hour was like wonderful. How'd you come up with that guy?
2: Um, we had a burger on when I started working there that was big and covered in bordelais and brie cheese, and it was delicious, but it was very heavy. And um, personally, I'm very happy that the gourmet chef burger trend is kind of going by the wayside because I like simple burgers, and that's kind of what we, what we wanted to make. So it's, it's only a four-ounce patty, so it's enough that you can just snack on one real quick. Um, and we have a great bread baker, so we bake these great hamburger buns. And really, it's all about the bun for me, so...
1: I know. That's one of those things that until you've lived a life where you've had a fresh baked bun, you mean buns are fine. They're not, you know, like they're just like something that are just around. They're like gravel. They're just like part of the world, like buns. I don't care that much. And then you have one that's, re- that's just been made, like a real bun. And you're like, Oh my gosh. I know why the culture orients around these. These are amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that's good. All right. So tell us tomorrow you got, uh, the big Tilia block party coming up. Yes, are you going to you're doing something else. You're going to be
2: I'll be just down the street at the Farmers Market. Um a little friendly cooking competition in honor of Julia Child's birthday.
1: I love Julia. Are yes. you going to drop a chicken on the floor? Yes. Yes, you are. Really? No. You have like a rubber chicken that everybody ceremonially <laughs> ceremonially passes around and drops. No. Maybe now. Maybe not. All right. So you're going to do, be doing that, then there's going to be the big Tilia block party. Mhm. Then you get back to your life cooking French food at St. Genevieve. And then the big message you want people to know is that they can come in.
2: Yes, we are busy, but we always have tables. Um, We always have room for walk-ins. There's always reservations available. We're, uh, yeah, we're excited to see anyone that wants to come in.
1: Yeah, because it's a thing. I think if you oh you get that reputation, they're like you can't get in there. Then everybody's in a panic and they just don't go at all. Mm-hmm. And then that's not good for you guys. So.
2: Well, and also we're not a. I don't think of us as a special occasion restaurant. I think we're an everyday place. It's a mm-hmm. neighborhood restaurant on the corner.
1: I think of you as a special occasion because that's when I go. And I'm just like, I get to go somewhere just for me. I get to go somewhere that's not on deadline. I'm going to go to St. Genevieve, just one of my favorite places. Uh, okay. Well, Dustin Thompson, thank you so much for coming thank in you. today. All right. When we come back, um, let's uh, let's think about what we're going to do. Should we talk to the chef? Let's talk to the next group of chefs. That'll be fun times. And I will have them when we come back. We are back here. Um, WCCO off the menu. You know, we're heading into five years on this show. I feel so proud and happy. Does anybody, early listener, remember how nervous I was that first week? Oh my goodness, we were live. And we were live at this event. It was my very first show. I almost just crashed to the ground in a panic attack. It was just bonkers. And now here I am. I'm eating ice cream on the air, getting nice messages from people. Um I will get to some of those in the next segment. The text line is up and working. You got any questions for me on anything at all? 81807. I will answer those. And yes, I know that the state fair is coming on Thursday. I am getting my act together. Got my map kind of planned. I like to, I got all secrets you want to know more about that? You text in 81807. I'm not just spilling my secrets because I'm babbling. I'm going to spill my secrets because somebody cares or asks. That's how, that's my plan. Okay. Here's what we're doing. I've got, uh, Kristen Poppenhagen, Hagen, Poppenhagen, Poppenhagen, Poppenhagen. Poppenhagen. I've got Kristen Poppenhagen and John Kratemacher from, uh, New Sweet Chow. They opened an ice cream parlor last week. I dropped by. It was amazing. I was like, "You got to come in and tell the people about this." Now they're here. That's how it rolls, man. All right. So I am so happy you're here, Kristen and John. So John, you have a, a cooking trajectory that was kind of, as far as I know, sweet sea cha- uh, change to fika to sweet chow. You guys met on the line at Sea uh, Change under superstar Jamie Malone who's going to be on the show in September if I can persuade her to step away from being a cover star on magazines and stuff. Um, and Kristen Poppenhagen, you you were a pastry chef at Sea Change, kind of famous for their pastries, and now you are and now you're at Sweet Chow with your first ever like full ice cream parlor. This is cool stuff. So I want to ask you guys some questions, but first of all, um, congratulations
3: on Ice Cream. Is this a thing to get go and get off the ground? Thank you. Yeah, uh, well, we've been working on the development of the flavors for what maybe like a month. About and... a month, so
0: we've been working hard on getting those refined. And when we opened Sweet Chow, we always knew we wanted the sweet aspect of it to be an ice cream uh, shop. And I was super excited to hear Kirsten might be interested, so I reached out to her. And she's been doing an awesome job making our own base, developing flavors that match our food. Um, so we're really excited about what's going on.
1: So when you opened Sweet Chow, I thought that the sweet just had some like Jeff Spicoli surfer dude like Sweet Chow. I thought that's what it was about, but it wasn't that at all. You had a secret secret in your pocket for ice cream. All right, but tell me why why Southeast Asian? That was kind of a, a surprise. You John, why did you want to do that kind of cuisine, Thai food, Vietnamese food, um, in a modern idiom downtown?
0: So all all of our owners spend a ton of time in that part of the world, and it's food that they really love, and it's food I really love, too. As a chef, it's like when I had a day off, that's what I'm going to go eat is Thai food or Vietnamese or stuff like that. So the concept just kind of came together. Um, I got to spend some time over there with one of the owners and really see what the food was like there. And actually, it's really great because here in Minneapolis and St. Paul, we have an awesome you know food scene for that kind of flavor. So it was great to go to Vietnam and oh, I do know what that is because I've had it on university in St. Paul. So and then the ice cream store was just another we felt that the neighborhood really could benefit for something like that. And our flavor profiles could lend themselves to some great, interesting flavors as well as have some classics as well.
1: All right. And then Kristen, you how did you end up being a pastry chef? Tell me about your tell me about your life.
3: Yeah, you know, it was kind of a slow development. I started out on the line at Sea Change and then slowly started into the pastry so how side. how did you end up on the line at Sea Change? You're from you're from here, right? Uh yeah, um I went to school here and then um I was working at Sea Change and school at the same time. How did you get how did someone turn into a pastry chef? Were you
1: like if I popped into your kitchen when you were 8 years old, would you've been just sitting around making brownies? And- I
3: was actually, yeah, I spent a lot of time in my childhood my grandma making cookies with her, and um, she makes amazing apple crisp. You know, I just kind of grew up with all of that, and I think that has really played into my adult life. And I do try to keep a connection in my stuff to my roots. And
1: all right, shout out to grandmas who make <laughs> apple crisp with their grandkids. It's a good, it's a good route. So, um, is your was it like a special apple crisp? Was it a Minnesota one, a German one? Was it a
3: Oh, yeah, it is the best. <laughs> uh, it's, I'm not sure. She starts with oats and she peels the apples herself. And yeah, That's my grandma the is the best. Yeah, oh. she really has been an inspiration to me. So. See, people think like,
1: oh, you're just making pastries with your kid. Little do you know you're preparing them for an important career.
3: <laughs> um, so, Okay, so you were always baking and then you, did, you went to cooking school, right? That was the road you took? Yeah, I did. Uh, well, I started, yep, and then I was working at Sea Change at the same time too and um, really found myself there and found a good community of people and so what do you tell young people today? Because that's a big,
1: a lot of people say, you know, go to cooking school, it kind of gets you the basics, and then a lot of people say, don't go to cooking school, it gets you the debt uh, that's caught, you know, there's too much involved. What do you tell people?
3: I think it's a personal choice. For me, it helped um, with a little bit of confidence in the kitchen side of things, I mean, um, but it really is a personal thing. You can just start at the bottom if you want and... um Work your way up and just work hard.
1: <laughs> and what do you, John? What's your What's your take on that cooking school? Yay or nay?
0: I, get, I like. Here's, I think it's a personal decision. I did. I went to culinary school. Um, I think I, you get a lot more working in a kitchen, but I also made a lot of contacts. So, like, I got my first jobs through school. So that did. I did benefit from it.
1: So, so were those the the famous externships? So the school places you in a kitchen to get some real experience?
0: Uh, even before that, just. I'm a second career, so I worked for a large bank for many, many years. Wait, what? Yeah, so I got out of that and went, decided to go to culinary school. I'd worked in restaurants my entire life. Um, and yeah, I just it wasn't through externship, but it was through meeting people at the school. It's like I struggled to find a job because I hadn't cooked in a professional kitchen like in the Twin Cities ever, so it was really helpful for me to go to class and meet people, meet the chefs there, and they got me connected with people who were looking for help, and it really did benefit me, the people I met right away.
1: Yeah, I was uh, listening to a podcast on a totally different thing about segregation and education. They were talking about how, w- what a huge part of education, uh, that kind of social capital piece is where you meet people that know people. And I hadn't really uh, ever heard it phrased in that exact way, that kind of social capital. How do you get into those top restaurants? Um, and that's a, a way of doing it. I was talking a lot about WCR over the winter, that Women Chefs and Tours Group, and that's what they're offering too is that kind of way to, to make those connections. Um, that social capital, those connections, they are, they are invaluable. Um, I think we'll take a few minutes here for a commercial break and then we'll be back and we'll talk some more about the, the specific kind of horizons of ice cream, which I'm very interested in. <laughs> Dara here. I am in the studio with Kristen Poppenhagen and John Krattenmacher from Sweet Chow. They just opened an ice cream place. Uh, so let's talk about the whole ice cream thing because I am interested. There's been so much interest in the Twin Cities and ice cream this summer. I wrote a piece in the beginning of the summer for a wonderful Minneapolis St. Paul magazine, uh, our summer bucket list, because there was so much going on. Uh, World Street Kitchen has their thing, which is called Milk Jam. Kind of these interesting international flavors and then kind of saucy, wacky flavors. Uh, then there's this whole rolled ice cream explosion. Um, things, you know, there's a kind of an artisanal ice cream uh, from the farm thing going on at Pump House in South Minneapolis. Like, I feel like ice cream was just leading its life. And all of a sudden, 2018, it was like, kapow! Everyone cares. Now, you guys have come in with the very first kind of pastry chef-driven ice cream. Interesting. One of the things I like that you do, you don't get ice cream base. Now, for people that don't know what ice cream base, Kristen, what is ice cream base?
3: Right. So a lot of places they'll buy uh, what they call base. It's just pre-manufactured and you would order it in. So that is like the, the mixture of cream and milk and stuff. Um,
1: so it comes then, in as a liquid and what you do right. if you order base is you freeze it. But then a lot of times it also has different emulsifiers or uh, things to make it so that it doesn't get crystals. That's one of the things hard to do in ice cream is to not get those crystals. And you wouldn't think because we live in a world where no ice cream has crystals anymore. But it's actually because people have pre-engineered it. So that's not happening. Um, so, But the base can make all ice cream taste the same. And you decided to go a different route. You're making yours from scratch like a uh, Ben Franklin chef would have made his ice cream, right? So how,
3: what is that? What goes into it? Right, yeah. Um, so rather than buying in our base, we are making everything totally from scratch in-house, which is really quite quite rare uh, to find a place that will do that. Uh, yeah, we're starting just from basic ingredients, cream, sugar, eggs, um, and we make everything in-house all of our flavorings are like fresh, fresh strawberries. We put in our strawberry ice cream, and we steep um, the tea into the handmade base to make the tea, ice, the Thai tea ice cream. And so
1: that's really fun. I saw your your very expensive tiny machine, right? Or it's, it's a big machine that makes a tiny batch. It Makes ten gallons at a time, and so you can, you know, just just do that. I. Uh, tried a bunch of different flavors. You got a very intense Vietnamese coffee, which I like. It's uh, I kind it's almost too intense to have by itself. You kind of want to put it with things, but that's what pastry chefs do, right? You can be like, oh, we'll put this in a sparkling float, or we'll we'll pair it with this fancy uh, other thing, and then you make this just a vanilla, which is just like. Perfect. The vanilla is so good. It's got that – if anyone's ever had a creme anglaise, it's just got that very custardy, almost yellow tint to it, and it tastes so – it nothing to do with Southeast Asia. It's just all about England. That's where that comes from. That's that just straight-up custard frozen. So good. And then you – tell me where you are on wacky flavors because – uh, if you're on the Internet too much, as I am, you see nothing but wacky flavors. Last week, everyone was losing their minds over a mayonnaise-flavored ice cream. What do you
3: think? <laughs> right. I saw that. Um, yeah, I think we definitely would be interested in trying some wacky flavors. Um, they're really fun right now, and um, I think people kind of want to go beyond their horizons, Um so yeah, maybe you can watch out for some fun flavors right now. Oh, so you're pro wacky flavors. I am.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, that's. I think some challenges are going to come along. There's a lot of Minnesota cuisine which has not been rendered into dessert form. Uh, I have seen some sweet corn ice cream, but I feel that there's what more could where more could you go with the sweet corn? You could do a sweet corn watermelon, or you could do a you tell me what's a good sweet Minnesota sweet corn thing,
3: <laughs> right? I mean, we could do that. Also, we kind of want to have some flavors that play off of the the Chow side of the restaurant because we have the sweet at the ice cream, and then so we kind of want to bring in some of the you know Southeast Asian flavors. So papaya salad ice cream is the direction <laughs> you're going. <laughs> no, that no, would maybe. be terrible. <laughs>
1: All right, we've only got a few more minutes. Um, we've got a couple of questions that are coming in. Is it, uh, is it difficult to, to, how did you teach yourself to cook in that Southeast Asian uh, palette of flavors, John?
0: Um, well, it's food I really love to eat. So, And I read a ton and I dine a ton. You know, Chefs that don't really have lives, I go out to dinner and I read cookbooks and work a lot. So it's just food I really loved. So it's it was really fun for me to like, Dig into those flavors and figure out what makes things what. Cause like everything we do is built in tradition. We don't, you know, it's like some people want to call it fusion food, but when I make larb, it's what it is. There's just a few different techniques I like to sprinkle in there that I've learned throughout my career. So I think that's part of what makes us fun right now.
1: And what, how is it cooking, you know, these other cultures' food when you obviously didn't grow up in Thailand? You didn't grow up in a Vietnamese family. Is it feel, I mean, how are you culturally respectful of that universe kind of coming from that?
0: I try to tra- stay true to the tradition. So it's like, if I know a recipe is going to have, I never want to copy something, but if I know, you know, like my papaya salad base, it's all based on a very traditional thing and I just season it how I like it. So I don't ever want to. I, don't know. I like I love the tradition, so I just like try to respect it. And yeah, mine's gonna be a little bit different, but everyone's is a little bit different. You know, every grandma's even potato salad in Minnesota's is gonna be a little bit different from every other grandma. So, I just want to make it good, and hopefully, people understand how much I love this food and enjoy it.
1: And all the potato salads will come in Kemp's buckets on your on your arm, right when you're going someplace. That's one of my favorite. All right. Uh, well, anybody who wants to check out what Sweet Chow is up to, they're in the warehouse district. I had a story about the ice cream at mspmag.com, and you can see that. It's also up on my Facebook page, dara.grumdahl. But Sweet Chow, really fun pastry chef ice cream. You can get Christine, <laughs> you make yours, and to get you a a, a Sunday, She'll do all the, like, the toasted things and her fresh waffle cone and make it all fancy, and that is a good way to spend your weekend. So you guys, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. All right, when we come back, I'm going to answer some of your questions. Eight one eight zero seven. Text them. Find me on the Twitter bot. I am at dear Dara, and uh, I will answer any and all questions you got, including on the upcoming State Fair madness. Dara here. All right. This is uh, the recipes didn't make it up on the website this week. So nobody can, nobody wants to cook this week. So we're just going to have a meaty ask me anything couple of them. First off, I want to remind you put on your calendar the weekend of September 15th. That's when I will be in River Falls, Wisconsin. We will be broadcasting the show live. We will be at Bacon Fest. If you've never been to River Falls, it's the cutest town. It's right over the river, not far from the Twin Cities metro at all. And, yes, there is bacon, a lot of bacon to eat. It's going to be a fun time. I'm going to be there. A lot of the WCCO crew is going to be out there. We are going to be having fun. So come, come. I want to see you on the morning of the 15th in Wisconsin. Start calling your friends. Tell them you're going to go because we're going to have a good time. All right, so what else is going on? I got a I got a question about my favorite restaurant in Maple Grove, Champlin that is not Q Fanatic. Oh, very very tricky there. You knew what I was going to say cuz I do love me some Q Fanatic. That is a good barbecue. Um let's see. I what is the name of that little place in the mall there? That's, uh, oh, rats. I can't think of it. I'm going to have to Google that one. Um, there's a funny little Julian Jelly Beans. Julia Jelly Beans. That's it. That's what it is. Uh, that place is really good. Um, and there's a Mavericks, like wood fire steak kind of place. I like that very much. Uh, Jelly Bean and Julia's. That's the name of it. So this place is another little barbecue place with a great burger situation. I think it's actually in Anoka, but, um, close to champlin. So try that jelly bean and julia's. I'm looking at their menu right now. jellybeanandjulias.com. Just a homey, lovely, charming place. The fact that this place hasn't been on diner's drive-ins and dives lately is a is a travesty. We'll eventually make it there. I guarantee you. Great bra- biscuits and gravy, kind of stuff. But then also that Mavericks. I like a wood-fired steak. I think that that is a very, very good way to do that. So I like that it's, uh, Mavericks wood fire up there. Those are my two favorites. Got kind of a question: Avocado pits. How do you get them to sprout? That is a great question. Uh, some of them will sprout, and some of them just won't. They are uh, avocados live a complicated life <laughs> after they come out of the fields, and and sometimes they're um, they're just they're too old, or they are they're from hybrid plants where they're not really going to sprout. But if you do get one that's going to sprout, it will typically start sprouting in the seed. I mean, in the avocado. When you see it, you can make you can kind of rig up a little thing so that part of it is in the water. You know, it's egg shaped. You want the the part of it that's a little more down to be in some water. Uh, you can do that with a vase that's kind of narrower at the top if you have one of those, or you can make a little armature out of pipe cleaners. Um, and that might get it to do. But uh, if you get one and it doesn't sprout, it very well may not be anything you're doing. It just might be that not all avocados are going to sprout. But that's a fun thing to do. And then what are you going to do once it gets big? You can maybe grow it inside. Maybe you'll be on a, a trip or you have to take your big avocado on a road trip and you'll drive down to Mexico to return it to its native habitat because you won't be able to live with it inside your house anymore. I don't know. You're on an adventure once you get that thing to sprout. I have more wisdom such as this when we come back. All right. We are back into the the fun times. The uh, Ask Me Anything segment. You got anything? You can uh, f- send it to me, 81807. All right. I got another question. Uh, someone saw my magazine article on a recent flight and I did a great job. Well, thank you. Yes, I write for the I write for Delta Sky. That's part of my day job. But I'm not here at Minneapolis, St. Paul. I had a fun story on the future of of podcasting and audio. You know, you can always pick this store this uh, thing. We have a off the menu is on Stitcher. You can find it. Anytime you miss a week, you're like, I missed Dara. How did I not hear this wisdom? And you just go on Stitcher, you subscribe to Off the Menu. Three of you wonderful people have left positive reviews, which warmed the cockles of my heart. More you can, anytime. All right, so I got a question uh, from a chef who doesn't want to be named, who's wondering, he's been busy and he hasn't gotten to any of the restaurants, the new hotnesses lately, where should he go? So if you're a chef... You go to Grand Cafe. See what Jamie Malone is up to. We mentioned her earlier in the show. She was on the cover of Food & Wine magazine a couple weeks ago for good reason. She The stuff that she's doing, just kind of French, um, homey food at Grand Cafe, it is just staggering, amazing stuff. The 38th Street Bridge just reopened, too, so you can get to Grand Cafe, which is on 38th and Grand. Uh, it's hard to be a... Foodie Minnesotan and construction season. All right, so Grand Cafe, and then the other one I would say is that Northeast restaurant, Hi Hi. It's a Vietnamese place by chef Christina Win. She is really an up and comer. Those are the the two places of a. You want some foodie bragging rights? You go to those two things. Um, I also, you know, love a lot of other restaurants, but your chef, you need to catch up on your homework. Those are the two. Grand Cafe. Hi, hi. All right, I got another question. How do I prepare for the state fair? I do so much preparing. You don't have time. I already have, I kind of map out all the new foods. I make a flurry of phone calls to people I've dealt with prior years, seeing if they have any new foods that are not out there yet. Um, I spend all oh, the day before making sure I'm like, hydrated and everything so I can get there at 6 a.m. on Thursday. That's where I will be, and I will be live-tweeting that. I will be writing up my top five new foods. I will get through everything by noon. I got it planned out. We will have them up on MSPMag.com by 1, I promise. I will be on Chad at 2 for the whole hour, and Chad and I are going to taste the new foods. We'll talk about the new foods. I will be punchy. You're like, how can you plan that you'll be punchy? I've planned it. That's the professional way. I know how this goes. I've done this a bunch of years running. I am really looking forward to it. Weirdly, I am really looking forward to the fact that there's fewer new foods this year than last year because this will allow me to really spend more time considering the meaning of each and every key lime pie, beer, and... (laughs) (laughs) and messy Giuseppe uh, construction. So come on down to WCCO Fair booth on Thursday. You will see all of us, and we are going to be having the most fun. And I want to see you there. And I'll see you there this week at State Fair.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what?